Welcome into the Monday recap podcast of the Musketeer Report. Paul Fritschner, Rick Broering with you. Rick's uh, up on a road trip with NKU, and we are getting ready to embark on Feast Week this week. But before we get to Feast Week, Rick, we have some things to recap from the past week. Xavier loses to Indiana 81-79. to That's the second game that Xavier played since we recorded last on Monday. Xavier beat Fairfield 78-65, to but a close loss to Indiana 81-79. to Xavier... Had a chance at the very end of the game. Adam Kunkel had a chance to essentially win the game. Indiana would have had five or six seconds, probably somewhere in that range to come down and have a shot to win the game themselves, but would have put Xavier in a great position at home in front of a sold out crowd to win that game. Xavier eventually loses the game by two. And I have to agree with a lot of people that I've seen posting around or or writing on social media. I felt like Rick, and I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this. It was one of the better feelings that I've had after a Xavier loss in a long time, or at least since I can remember, where you left the game feeling like this was a Xavier team that hung in there with Indiana the entire time. They competed. They never wilted down the stretch, and that was something Sean Miller talked about after the game. He said that with about six or seven minutes left, Xavier could have waved the white flag. Indiana had gone up by a few possessions, and there was easily a chance that Indiana could have just used their size, used their skill, and and blown Xavier out it could have turned into a 15 or 20 point game but instead Xavier gives themselves a shot to win the game at the very end doesn't happen but at the very least they hung in there they they came back and I tweeted it after the game there's no moral victories but for Xavier at least it was a thing a situation where you're going to Portland this week and if you lose to Indiana by 30 or 40 heading into Portland this week and playing Duke, Gonzaga, Purdue, West Virginia, and Florida. And you're thinking to yourself, Oh no, what are we getting ourselves into? I didn't see that as the situation at all. Trace Jackson Davis, all American candidate. He goes for 30. Xavier Johnson goes for 23. Malik renew had 12, three and double figures for Indiana. Uh, Xavier's scoring was pretty balanced. Sule boom and Zach Fremantle both had 15 to lead Xavier but Jack Nunji had 14, Colby had 13, and so did Adam Kunkel. So, Rick, let's get your thoughts on the Indiana game and overall how you felt like Xavier handled themselves against the AP number 12 team in the country. Yeah, I think the sentiment coming away from that game was what you said, which is Xavier fans seemed very excited about the performance. Um, I'm curious a little bit about that and how why you felt so good about it, uh, but I mean, there's no doubt that there are certain things we're seeing in terms of trends in the way this team plays that seem to be positive. The The biggest one I think that everyone has really enjoyed is the lack of poor three-point shots getting heaved up per game. It just seems like those have been mostly eliminated, and if they do happen, then the guy is out of the lineup pretty quickly. And as a result, Xavier goes 7 of 17 in this game against a good Indiana defense. Uh, Adam Kunkel hit three, and Soleil Boom hit three in this one. So if you can get that out of those two guys in big games, like against Indiana, that's great. I mean, that that is what they struggled with last year was to get consistent shooting, but also efficient shooting against most teams at the same time. I am a little curious about how high people are on this because it, you know, it is still a loss and I'm not sure Indiana is an elite team. I mean, I think they're pretty similar to what they were last year. Uh, and they had a lot coming back. So people have them ranked highly, but I'm not so sure that they're really a top 10 team in the country. And that's not to take anything away from Xavier. It's just, uh, you know, I, I go back to last year and they beat Ohio state in this event. Yeah. 
And now everyone's saying this felt so great to lose to Indiana by two. And that that seems a little weird to me, I would say. But at the same time, like I said, I think the, the reason people are talking like that and are positive after a loss like this is because there are positive trends in the way Xavier is playing. Now, I, I did think to your point, it was interesting hearing Sean after the game in the postgame press conference say that if Adam Kunkel had made that layup at the very end of the game, that doesn't change the fact that Xavier still had a lot of defensive issues in this game, especially in the second half. He talked a lot about how frustrated he was with the first four minutes of the second half and how much Xavier was fouling in that. And whether the officiating was good or bad, you can have your own opinion of that. I did think that the officiating made the game choppy. It lost its flow. It took the energy out of the building at, at, at a few different, what I thought were key junctures of the game. And I, I think looking at how Xavier was coming into the season and there were so many question marks with a, a new point guard, you were getting two, a couple of freshmen that you were going to have to rely on production out of. Now, I know we didn't barely see Cam Craft at all in this game. I know technically he checked in, but only registered one minute. Uh, Desmond Claude ended up playing 16 minutes in the game. He only took three shots, was one for three, scored two points. But I think, Rick, the, the reason that a lot of people – at least from my perspective and people I was talking to, I went to Dana's after the game and was kind of getting a vibe of a lot, a lot of the people. I, I kept hearing the same thing as people would come up to me over and over. And then I kept hearing this recurring theme of, we weren't sure what the Xavier team was going to be this year with, with a, a new point guard, everything else. And Colby, what, what was it going to look like with Colby? Was he going to be a hundred percent coming off an injury? And you're going up a, a, against a team that in Indiana perception wise is a really big measuring stick test and you hung with them. Yeah, you lost. Yes, there's no moral victories, but at least you didn't get blown out and embarrassed before a really, really important stretch of games in Portland. You come back, you play one by game and then West Virginia in the shootout. This is a huge, huge juncture of the season early on to prove yourself. And it would have felt a lot better if that shot for Xavier fans had fallen, but at the same time, I, I, I go back to what Sean said, that doesn't mask necessarily the issues that Xavier had in the second half of that game defensively. When a lot of guys, a, a lot of those Indiana shots, they were just getting whatever they wanted at, at different times. It is just weird for me to hear Xavier fans be so excited to compete and so excited to lose a game and say, Oh, it's great to keep it close against a team like Indiana. That. That to me isn't really like who Xavier's been and, and what Xavier's fan base has been. So I, I'm just a little curious by some of the comments after this game. But again, I totally understand why people are excited about the direction of the program under Sean Miller. I just for this specific team in this season, I'm a little curious about some of the reactions that I've seen. You talked about the issues that they had on defense and how, you know, tying the game up or winning it wouldn't have really masked those. And I think that's probably the biggest concern you take away with from this game is, look, Trace Jackson Davis is an All-American. You knew that. But to let him get 30 points on 13 of 16 shooting, that's not going to cut it. And again, I know he's 245 pounds with almost no body fat, and that's not an easy matchup for anybody because he finishes almost everything around the basket. Uh, but you've got to make him work harder. And I think a little that's a little bit concerning for Xavier considering their strength is their front court. Jack Nungy and Zach Fremantle. It's nice that they were able to combine combine for 29 points, but when you give up 30 to the center on the other team, 
that's not going to get it done. And the other player that I was really impressed by, but I think it, it kind of showed you some of the issues Xavier has defensively is Xavier Johnson, the point guard for IU. He had 23 points and he was seven of eight from the field with uh, also seven of 10 at the free throw line. So these guys were so efficient. You know, those two Xavier Johnson and Trace Jackson Davis run a lot of high ball screen, pick and roll type stuff. Xavier knew it was coming. I just think defensively, they, they really have some weak links this year and that's going to be a constant thing that they're going to have to battle. What were some of those things, Rick, that you saw as the game played out? You were there and, and we were talking about it after the game where in the second half, they didn't really come out as well as Sean would have liked Xavier to come out in the second half, making those adjustments out of the halftime break. Yeah, it was a really bad stretch there for the first like four to six minutes, I would say. And you heard Sean talk about that after the game. The fouls were a big part of that. And I think some of those were, quite honestly, some cheap calls or bad flow by the officials to call them all that quickly. But also, I think Xavier really got out of sorts on both ends of the court because they they missed shots. They turned the ball over. It was just a lot of mistakes and sloppy play. And obviously, when you're winning by two at halftime against a top 10 team in the country or top 15 team in the country, you don't want to start the second half off letting them go on a big run and taking control of the game. So I thought that was really disappointing to see them go through that stretch. And I'm the, the issue is, is it fixable? Can these guys play defense consistently for 40 minutes without getting into foul trouble at some point or without going through one of those spurts where they just get out of sorts on both ends of the court? So I think that becomes somewhat of a new narrative for this group is, can you put, I mean, everyone always talks about putting complete games together, but can you play with any level of consistency uh, on both ends, but really the defensive end for me? Yeah, no doubt. And you look at Xavier's shot selection. They took 47 shots uh, in this game inside the arc and 24 of those 47 shots. So over half of them came from Zach Fremantle and Jack Nunji. How did you feel like Xavier played uh, around the rim, Rick, and and feeding the big man because that was one of the biggest storylines that you and I talked about previewing this game. Yeah, outside of that little stretch in the second half early, I thought Xavier was great offensively. Um, Zach Freeman and Jack Nunji are their guys; they're going to play through them a lot. But the guy that I've been very impressed with is Sule Boom. He's doing exactly what they brought him in here to do. He hit three threes in this one. He got to the free throw line with six of eight there. Ended up with five rebounds, three assists, and three turnovers. Obviously, you want to see him eliminate that turnover number. I'm not sure how likely that is. He's not really a true point guard. He's more of a combo guard. And, you know, Desmond has the same issue right now. As a freshman being the backup, he's had a little bit of a turnover bug as well, although he only had one in 16 minutes in this game. So hopefully that's a positive sign of things to come. I do think you've seen some improvement from Desmond. He had that really nice drive there in the second half of this game where he kind of bullied through a defender and finished it. So I'm anxious to see what he brings, but at the same time, Sule Boom has really filled his role nicely, I think, early in the year. Yeah, Sule, especially in this game where size-wise, how is Sule going to be able to hold up? That's another storyline that you and I have talked a lot about. 100%. Look, we knew he could be better than Big Sky players or Miak players that Xavier played in the first couple of bye games. We already seen him do that at UTEP in Conference USA, which is a better conference than those. So it was no surprise that he was effective against those types of teams. He's a good basketball player. The question came in when the size and athleticism and talent level picked up, would he still be able to produce in a similar way? And so far, so good. I mean, this is 
you know, again, aside from the three turnovers, which you definitely need to eliminate at the point guard position, I thought the way he was scoring and the types of shots he was taking and the way he got to the free throw line is exactly how you want him to play. Yeah. Um, one other point that I wanted to make defensively, Rick, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this one is uh, on my podcast on Friday, I had Jeff Rabjohns on, which by the way, again, thanks for uh, putting me in contact with him. Jeff, uh, Jeff mentioned when I asked him, what were some of the keys to the game from the Indiana perspective? He gave me a few, but one of the things that he thought Indiana would need to do to win this game was they'd probably have to hit around eight threes. Well, they only ended up hitting four. They were four for 12. We knew that Indiana was a team that was looking for shooting coming into the season, but even more so looking for shooting, as as Jeff talked about, they don't take a ton of three-point shots. They don't. They just don't get a lot of three-point production, regardless of the percentage of how many they hit. It's sometimes tough for them to even take as many shots as they might need to from beyond the arc. They take 12 on Friday night. Xavier Johnson finished two for two. Then uh, Jalen hood Shafino hit one, and Miller Cup hit the other one. So, you know, Race Thompson was 0 for 4. Malik Renew missed the one that he took. Trace Jackson Davis didn't take any. All 16 shots that he took were inside the arc. Uh, how did you feel like Xavier defended the perimeter, Rick? I thought it wasn't as much about Xavier defending the perimeter as it was Indiana. Um, quite honestly, if Miller Cop goes one for four, they're just going to have a bad shooting night. He's he's kind of their guy. They were lucky to get two for two uh, from three-point range from Xavier Johnson. So I, I think... What Xavier did early was they tried to double Trace Jackson Davis a little bit in the post. That didn't last very long because he showed pretty quickly that he can play out of those double teams, whether it be dribbling through it and then finding a pass or just passing right over the top into the corner for a three, which he did early on. Um, Xavier had to get out of the double team pretty quick. So initially they were giving up some open looks because they were trying to double the post. But then as the game went on, I thought they obviously they stopped doing that and that allowed them to be close enough to shooters, especially against an Indiana team that just doesn't shoot it very well from the outside. So uh, were they good? Yeah, I think they got better as the game went on, but a lot of that has to do with Indiana just being a poor three-point shooting team. Sure. Desmond Claude played 16 minutes in this game. Cam Kraft played one. Sean Miller in the post-game presser mentioned that obviously you're playing to win in this game, but his point being in that statement was that there was never a point in this game where he was putting in a guy like Cam Kraft to get experience or to get uh, some more depth on this team. He didn't want to put Cam in in a position to fail in this game that was as important as it was in front of a sellout crowd at home against a high major team where you're not going to get a ton of opportunities out of conference. There's only one more high major non-conference game at home. Uh, the rest of this non-conference slate, and that's West Virginia in two weeks. So Sean talked about that and saying, Hey, look, I'm not going to put cam craft in this game where he can't succeed just because I want him to get experience down the line. I'm playing to win this game right here and right now. So he craft only got one minute. Des Claude got more run. Uh, what do you think that the 16 minutes from Des Claude said, Rick, and, and the same with Cam Kraft not really seeing the floor? Yeah, I mean, Cam Kraft just isn't quite in that rotation yet. I think they're still trying to figure out what they're doing on the wing a little bit. Uh, you've had Kiki Tandy starting these games, but you saw in this game he only played 15 minutes and Adam Kunkel played 28 minutes off the bench. So I think that wing spot is still a little in flux, but for right now, Kiki Tandy and Adam Kunkel are ahead of Cam Kraft. And that's not to say that he can't find some minutes on the wing. He's, he's also playing behind Colby Jones at the three a lot 
in terms of his actual position. So Kobe Jones isn't really going to come off the court. Uh, and, and that's, you know, they're going to have to be creative with finding minutes for Cam Craft, I think, as the season goes on as, and he continues to improve. Because I do think later in the year, he will be a guy that you're trying to get at least a handful of minutes. Sure. Uh, let's get some other reaction from you, Rick, just around the rest of the guys. You mentioned Kiki Tandy. Um, how did you think Kiki, Adam, and Colby played out there on the wings? Yeah, I, I thought, you know, Kiki Tandy obviously gave them a, a couple of buckets in this one. He finished with seven points in, in his 15 minutes. I thought he was okay, but there's always some some issues defensively with him. With Colby, the big story for him, obviously he was injured in this game, and he, he wasn't at his best, but I do – have to think if he was held or if he was not fouled out of the game in those final possessions, he probably would have been the one to get that ball in a situation that Adam had it in with a chance going to the rim to score and nothing against Adam. Adam played a really good game and, and he's capable of making those types of shots. We've seen it before, but I think I would probably rather have Colby Jones in that situation. So uh, I, I think he probably got a little tired He and that led to some fouls. And then he also got a cheap one or two called on him. And uh, it was just unfortunate for Xavier that he fouled out with about two minutes to play. Because if he was still on the floor, I'm not saying the game ends up in a different manner, but I think there's a much better chance. Just to wrap up the Indiana game here, Rick, before we move on to PK85, what did you feel like the end of the game scenario was in your mind? How did you feel like that played out? Sule Boom goes down to the floor, and it all, it, it, he was definitely trying to call a timeout and for Xavier, that was a good thing that the refs didn't grant the timeout because they didn't have any left. That would have been a technical foul. Um, I saw some people saying that maybe he was looking to draw a foul, and that was why he fell all the way down. I don't know how you saw it. I was, I, I haven't seen a replay of it yet besides my one angle on it from the other baseline. Um, but just how the end of the game played out for you. Yeah, on one hand, like you can't turn that ball over in that situation like Sule did. On the other hand, he also hit a big shot right before that to give them that opportunity. So had he not made that shot, you're not even really talking about that next play. Um, so it's hard to, to be too you know, critical of his play there at the end. I did think he was in a bad spot, kind of got bumped and lost his bounce a little bit. And then I thought he tried to over-exaggerate a little bit on the way down to maybe get a foul, which... You know, he might have been losing his balance either way, and it was going to be a turnover regardless. So I'm not, I'm not sure, but I did think the like the way he went down looked a little over exaggerated potentially. Sure. And then that look from Adam Kunkel there at the end, curling to the basket. I mean, you got what you wanted, getting a getting a run to the rim, and just didn't fall. Yeah, That's I mean, pretty I good look. He was extended out there on the left side with the right hand, trying to flip it in there, and uh, just didn't quite have enough touch. It was a little hard and a little long, so. Yeah. Uh, like you said, it was a it was a great look. It's it's what you hope to get at the end of the end of game situation. Uh, it might have been nicer to have Colby out there and, and potentially give the ball to him. But uh, who knows? There, there's a possibility Kunkel still would have gotten it. Sure. All right. So now Xavier turns their attention toward Portland, Xavier and Florida on Thanksgiving. That's at 530 Eastern time, 230 out there if you're in Portland for the game. Uh, Rick, you and I talked about on the preseason podcast how important this game is for Xavier just in terms of the overall strength of their schedule and how the rest of this tournament would play out for Xavier. So if Xavier wins this game against Florida, you set yourself up with a game against Duke and then potentially on Sunday, Purdue or Gonzaga or West Virginia. But if you lose this game, you're looking at Oregon State and then maybe a West Virginia twice in two weeks. Um, so this game on Thursday, to me, 
as I said in the preseason, is one of the more important games on the schedule just because of the opportunities for your non-conference schedule strength that you would have on Friday and Sunday. Sure. I guess the only question, though, is if you go and, and get your brains beaten against Duke, not saying that would happen, but if you did, is it better to have played a consolation game and won potentially? I really don't know. My my guess is, no, you probably want to beat Florida, get the win over Florida, and then, uh, you know, take take what happens, whatever happens against Duke for the strength of schedule. Um, but if you're looking at Florida, the 37th and Ken Palm right now, they've already beaten Stony Brook, 81-45, Kennesaw State, 88-78. They lost to Florida Atlantic at home, 76-74, and then they won at Florida State on Friday, 76-67. So they're a group that's been inconsistent. They've got a new head coach in Todd Golden. They're they're trying to figure things out. They're going to basically play a fairly up-tempo style, especially on the defensive end. They're going to try to get after it and 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 pressure the ball and, and really rebound inside, and, and they do a great job of that. So I think, you know, this is this – is, going to be an interesting matchup because Ken Palm has Xavier as a one point favorite. Yeah. And that's flipped. I think I I'd have to go back and look, I don't know if I can go back and see their projections, but I think initially Xavier was a two point underdog on Ken Palm and things have flipped around, but I could be wrong on that. I could be wrong. Um, but I, I think when you look at Florida and you talk about how do you want to, do you want to beat Florida and then, lose by a million to Duke. I remember having a, that exact same conversation last year in the preseason NIT when we were talking about Iowa State and then the Virginia Tech game afterward where you were probably going to go one and one in that event if you were thinking that you were going to lose to Memphis. You lose on day one to Iowa State, and then you get a decent win over Virginia Tech on day two. Now it seems like a, a year later you're kind of having the same conversation, but at least it puts you in a position where you're playing a Duke team where if you play Florida and then you play Duke, that's two first-year head coaches at their new spot. Todd Golden's not a first-year head coach, but it with a new program at least. And then John Shire obviously at Duke, and then that would leave Sunday for whatever happens then. But this is an extremely high-profile event. This is a, an event that on the other side of the bracket – now, just for people listening uh, that might not know all the ins and outs of this – there are two tournaments going on in Portland this weekend. There are 16 teams out there. There is Xavier's bracket that has eight teams. There's the other bracket that has eight teams. That bracket includes Villanova and UConn. And the reason that UConn is in it is because of their exception from when they were in the AAC. You're not supposed to have more than one team per conference in the same bracket, but UConn got an exception to be in there, at least the way I understand it. Um, but it's not like the winner of each bracket is going to play each other, you know, as they win. It's just going to be you play your bracket and the three teams. It's it's basically two uh, separate MTE. events. Yeah, it's two separate events happening in the same spot at the same time under the same name for Phil Knight's 85th birthday. So just to clear up any of those questions that people might have had. And the two arenas right next to each other, Portland State's uh, is up north. And that's that would only be if you played. Um, on the losers bracket on Sunday. Otherwise, it's where the the Portland Trailblazers play, and then right across the street at at the Veterans Coliseum. So that's the setup um, for this week. But Xavier will play Florida on Thanksgiving, and then if they win or or lose, they'll play the winner or loser of Duke and Oregon State. Um, and that would you know the the brackets are all posted online. We don't need to go through that now. But Rick, you and I predicted a one and two. Uh, record for Xavier in this event before the preseason. Do you want to change that or do you want to stick with it? 
No, I'll, I will stick with that. Yeah, I will too. I, I will too. I think that Xavier beats Florida on Thursday and then would probably lose to Duke. And then from there, it would probably be Purdue on Sunday, um, which would be a, a another Big Ten challenge in and of itself. Um, Purdue's going to give Indiana a run for their money in the Big Ten. So uh, that would be on Sunday. But who knows? After what we saw on Friday and, and Xavier's – Xavier's uh Xavier's chances against Florida that'll set itself up for the rest of the weekend yeah and I, and I think maybe going back to where we opened the podcast at that this is a kind of a good way to wrap it up the Florida game and how fans feel about it, quite honestly how I feel about it right now is probably a good example of why people feel good after that loss last week you now feel confident that with Sean Miller this team is going to continue to play that way. They're going to have some level of consistency. If they play the way they did against Indiana, that performance is good enough to beat Florida. And I think that's where the difference is and where that, that warm and fuzzy feeling about where this team is headed comes from. It's because there's an understanding of the way this team is going to show up on each and every night. And uh, I'm anxious to see what they do in this tournament because I think it's a, a good opportunity for them to really prove something. But at the same time, it's, it's just nice to get a good test for them and, and find out where they're really at. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Rick, any anything else from you before we sign off here for the week? I think that's it for me. All right. Well, Rick, uh, enjoy down there. I know you're down there in Florida for uh, NKU's uh, MTE this week. So enjoy down there in Florida. And we'll be back next week, next Monday night. We'll be back to our regular schedule uh, as everything's going forward. Just had to record this one tonight because of Rick's travel schedule. So we'll see you all back next week, next Monday. Uh, I will be in Portland. I didn't, I don't think I mentioned that last week. I will be in Portland this week uh, covering Xavier, Villanova, and UConn for the Big East. So if you're out there, love to say hey. And uh, if not, then have a great Thanksgiving. Enjoy your week. Yep. Follow Paul's coverage on Twitter from Portland and also subscribe to his podcast, Rebound Rundown. It is a great daily recap and preview of what's ahead for the day in college basketball. You'll really enjoy it. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week.